Adrian and Eve, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, one of the things that has been a, a mainstay of AML, BSA, and financial crime prevention is understanding potential clients and current clients, right? So, and, and one of those areas that has changed dramatically because of technology is adverse media. So what I want to talk about today is some of the uh, elements that go into that. If you're a small community bank, you're a major multinational, or if you're a, a financial technology firm, you have to have some element of monitoring for adverse media. And so let, I want to walk through some of that. Adrian, I'm going to start with you. I know in your, with your background, you're, you know, you're currently with, with Square, but you've spent a good portion of your career at Deloitte working with traditional financial institutions. And I guess for our community, which is very broad now, you know, it's much broader than it was 20 years ago, give us a sense of the, the differences and the similarities between needing adverse media, um, whether you're you know, a traditional institution or where you are now oh, that supports financial technology. Hi, John, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to um, join to discuss such an important and relevant topic. Um, to your question, though, I, I've had the opportunity to, to understand just how important adverse media screening or, or neg news screening is in enabling a strong AML operational program and protecting any organization, whether it be a traditional FI or a fintech, um, from financial crimes, terrorist financing, and other reputational risks. So I think the importance across the board is, is the same for, for fintechs and for um, traditional FIs. Um, I, I do think one thing to call out though is fintechs, you know, they, there's, with the similarities, there's, there's also some differences. Um, traditional FIs, there's been a manual approach to, to screening um, that at least when I was doing the manual, you know, um, screening myself during reviews, um, and I think at FI, at, at FinTechs rather, um, there is an interest in leveraging technology um, when available to help implement solutions. Um, uh, FinTechs, we have the same issues as traditional FIs um, when it comes to adverse media screening. We have to consider manual versus automated solutions, when and how to incorporate the technology, as well as the nuances of how adverse um, media should be leveraged within our KYC and financial crime detection processes. Um, the, these are all very real considerations that all institutions have to consider on an ongoing basis. Often, I think the right answer um, is a combination of some sort of technology-driven batch screening that's conducted at the onset of the customer relationship um, with some automated solutions around categorizing and, and ranking potential matches for further manual review of higher risk matches. Um, and I think that, that the traditional FIs, they do this um, in similar fashion to fintechs when we're talking about the manual approaches, as I mentioned, but the main difference there, I think, is the automation. And so you would use uh, adverse media for both uh, onboarding and obviously uh, ongoing monitoring, but is there a difference? So you onboard a client um, you know, a small LLC and, and the board, however you do it. And then at some point there becomes additional information, uh, not about, not about regulation, but what, what is a good best practice in terms of that information? Cause 
because as you, you know, you got to sort of uh, compare or put this information together with other decisionings. But when you get something sort of after the fact, after the onboarding, um, are your are policies have to be pretty pretty clear on what to do? Or maybe just high level. What what would be some examples of the difference between making a call onboarding and making a call to exit? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think you know, and for every institution, it's very different, dependent upon the risk tolerance of that institution um, and individual nuances. Um, but I think. Generally speaking, at onboarding, you know, you kind of do, you might do some sort of batch screening, PEP um, screening, um, general negative news, searching for cybercrime, terrorism, drugs, narcotics, regulatory. You might even search for weapons crimes um, at onboarding, but you have limited finite information at the point of onboarding. Um, you have, you've had limited interaction likely with the customer at the point of onboarding. So you have to take that into consideration when you're doing something such as a holistic KYC review of the, of the customer. Um, I think at the point of ongoing review, uh, you, you have a more robust relationship with that customer. You have more insight into their behavior practices and who they are. They may have alerted um, throughout your compliance program and during those um, various reviews, transaction monitoring or other types of due diligence reviews, you've gained a perspective on that customer um, and have a more robust understanding of who that customer is. And so when you do any sort of batch screening at an ongoing um, review um, um, process, or if you're even doing manual um, or user-initiated reviews, rather, um, you, you have more information, more insight to leverage um, while you're considering certain negative news. I think that, in general, um, any adverse media starts to paint a picture of the customer, and you start to understand what's going on, and you have to consider what does this say about the customer? How does this impact the overall risk of the customer? How does this impact the relationship that the institution has with that customer. And so the, the, the adverse media or the, or the neg news is one snippet of who that customer is. Um, and, and so you should consider that when you're conducting reviews. I do think that most institutions have um, you know, prohibited categories where negative news might imply that you would wanna offboard the relationship. Right. Um, that's normally documented in policy form um, and then operationalized in procedure um, and very specific procedures that dictate various reviews before you get to a point of exiting relationship or offboarding. Um, and again, that's something that's very specific to an institution. Um, but you might, for example, have a policy against weapons. Um, mm -hmm. And so a negative, uh, a negative news hit, um, you know, indicative of weapons or arms or things like that. It could be a one and done, but some news you might have to piece it together and say, well, collectively, this has increased the risk of the relationship to um, an extent where it, it warrants at least review for offboarding or, or exiting the relationship. Eve, that's a good building point to ask you. So Adrian mentions that sometimes the client will tell you, uh, you know, they hire Arachnus and they say, we want to be tracking X. But the broader question I would have is, what do you folks consider adverse media? So, you know, uh, as we said offline, I've been doing this for a long time. And I and remember in the early days of trying to make determinations pre-internet is you'd say, you'd read something in a local paper about a company or an executive that was not positive. And so you'd have to make a call there. And so that seems sort of obvious not that you make a decision, but that it's part of the data. 
what do you folks consider uh, broadly to be adverse media? You don't have to list every single one, but sort of categories of adverse media besides, you know, cases, litigation, that sort of thing, peps. What, what else goes in that big bucket of what is considered adverse media by the community? Yeah, thanks for that, John. And Adrian's made some really interesting points around the, the ways adverse media can be leveraged and how important it is for a case, um, which I probably agree with everything you said there. I think um, you ask a really interesting question, probably one of the most challenging ones that we have to answer whenever we engage with a customer and that I think people across the industry, each institution has to answer. What do we consider to be relevant and pertinent information? And what do we consider to be reliable and trustworthy information? And it's the combination of those things that really leads to what you ultimately categorize as adverse media. Um, it can come in many shapes and forms. And um, I think the thing we really find ourselves is we're in an age of information. There is an absolute onslaught of it everywhere it's no longer just tr traditional print media we're also looking at social media we're talking about blog posts and in particular regions if um, the actual official state media is very heavily controlled it may be that your independent blog sources are actually far more reliable than your um, kind of official media outlets so you're then faced with a balancing act of okay so for the jurisdiction I'm in for the type of customers I'm working with and for the general profile um, that I need to construct around those people what are the most appropriate sources um, so I think the short answer to your question is no one knows and it can vary so much um, but there are there are huge amounts of kind of alternative data that can come into it you know we could start to talk about shipping records and trade-based analysis of data we could start to talk about um, so many things um, and I think it really comes down to understanding what the profile of your customer base is, you know, where they are, who they are, what they're doing, um, who they interact with, and understanding where you're going to find the most trustworthy information because of that, whether you need to consider searching that information in multiple languages, um, all of those things can be taken into consideration. Um, I think probably also the really big thing that underpins adverse media as a, as a concept is that it's largely unstructured uh, data. So we're not talking about kind of a list that's been nice and neatly curated that we can search across using a very nice number <laughs> or a reference point. We're talking about something that's really fluid, that's really nuanced, and that requires a huge amount of context to be able to understand. Um, and that's where the, the big challenge lies in, in actually making adverse media something that's meaningful, um, I think, in the way that we address it. You know, that's, that's an important point on context. So given that, how does Arachnus deal with that with clients. So do you uh, go to the client and say, here's the data, here's what we've been able to determine, here's the context, and then you partner with the client to say that client might have additional information perhaps that you weren't aware of. And so it's, it's almost a partnership. So you're providing more than the first cut, but you're going through the data, you're determining some things here, and then the client, as, as Adrian says, you, you know, you have uh, you know, your own decision, your own policy, the things that you, you want to be in these buckets. So is it from Arachnus standpoint, a, a partnership? And, and then I guess the, the, the question before that would be, how are you folks able, I mean, that, that's a lot of expertise. I mean, you, I know from, from looking at um, your, your site and everything, you're in, you look at over 98 different languages. I mean, it's unbelievable the expertise you have to have to produce data that becomes more structured, I guess, after the review. But how do you handle context? Is it solely on your end or do you, or do you rely and partner with your clients so that you have a, a more complete picture, if that makes any sense? It certainly does, yeah. Uh, and it's a, real, it's a real partner effort, a real combination. Um, 
we we partner with a number of other um, players in the space. So we work with um, people who also operate in the fintech space more broadly um, and the regtech space. We also work very closely with every customer on a very um, kind of nuanced basis, I would say. So while we do have our own kind of in-house generation of what, what, what's good content, what are good sources, what, what should we be looking for? And we're always trying to look for the new and best way to um, absorb information. We're also always listening to the people that we're working with. I think we find, generally speaking, um, a lot of our customer base are, they're really at the sharp end of what they're doing. So they have a really good understanding of where really valuable data sits. Um, so that can be a really interesting um, source for us in terms of learning, learning from the, the actual um, uh, pointy end, if you like, of what's going on, to be able to say, right. yeah, we, we trust what you trust. So we'd love to incorporate that in what we're doing. Um, so there's a huge amount of tailoring that goes into it. And I think um, in, on the context front, adverse media, broadly speaking, tends to be something that's external to an institution. So we can bring our expertise on maybe the things our customers aren't aware of. We can say, we know that in um, South Africa, these sources are gonna be a really helpful thing for you to listen to. Um, and that kind of external knowledge can then be combined and corroborated with everything internal that you already know about your customers to make a really valuable uh, decision on what your next course of action should be with that customer. Adrian, I, and this is probably not an answerable question in that um, it probably differs, but from your, from your perspective, sort of a, a best practice, and I know it'll depend on the situation, but let's say, uh, how, how, what's the percentage of how adverse media shades your onboarding or exiting relationship? Again, I know it must, it obviously has to, it depends on the data, but just in general, I'm, ass right. I'm assuming from the banks that you worked with before and now where you are, that your policy says this gets factored in. But just from your experience, is adverse media 20% of the decisioning, 50? Let's take what, let's just take off the table the example where it's so dramatic that you got to make a call based on the right. media. But just in general, what, what goes into your decisioning besides adverse media and what, what is a, a common percentage if you could do that? Yeah, I would say it's a very high percentage, um, not to put a number to it, but I would say a very high percentage um, of the time that you're leveraging that insight that adverse media brings, because as, as Eve mentioned, it's all that external information, that, that, that information that, that we have or, or that is out there about that customer that's not internal to us. So of course we factor in behavior um, of the customer and their transactions and um, transactional behavior. And we do those types of deep dives to understand um, the type of activity that the customer is engaging in on the platform. But the, what they're doing off of the platform could be just as telling. It could provide valuable insight that we might not have visibility in. So it's it's that it's almost like interconnected tissue. You know, you need the external, you need the internal information to make the, to make the right call. Um, and with all the, I think, needless to say, all the caveats, it's dependent upon the news, dependent upon the source, dependent upon a lot of different factors. But it's definitely very important, essential to KYC reviews. It's it's essential to understanding the customer, understanding that risk. Um, so very high percentage where you're leveraging that type of information. Sure, that, that makes sense. Um, Eve, I, I, I know enough to know that regulators never sign off on anything, but what interaction has Arachnus had, uh, if any, with regulators as you, again, not show them, or maybe you have shown them your product, but just in general, you know, obviously it's in most jurisdictions, if not all, it's not required that you do this checking, 
but it's really, a, it's like risk assessment. In the United States, risk assessments aren't required, but if you don't do one, how could you have a solid AML program, right? So people are doing this, uh, fortunately, you know, for all the right reasons. Uh, but what do regulators expect, so high level, obviously, from the, from the products? Uh, trust is the key answer, obviously. You've already talked about making sure that you, you separate the noise, that sort of thing. But if you can, what, what, what sort of conversations have you had with regulators in terms of what, what they expect your clients to have? Yeah, I mean, we, we always try to stay on top of kind of what the latest regulation is and the main jurisdictions that we operate in to make sure that obviously the solutions that we offer can help our customers to effectively meet those because that's really what we're all in the business of doing is uh, preventing crime <laughs> by making sure we have these really robust um, measures in place. Um, so there's certainly a sort of minimum threshold, but exactly as you say, adverse media is something that there's actually relatively little regulatory direction on specifically. I think increasing numbers of regulators and thought leaders um, in the sort of anti-money laundering and KYC spheres are increasingly encouraging the use of it and increasingly encouraging the use of technology to manage it because I think there's a, a general realization that the manual effort is just so expensive and so time consuming that you kind of have to have some element of technology to make it meaningful and manageable. Um, so what we're then in a position of doing is, is really making sure that we provide technology that's of a su sufficient enough quality that people can begin to rely on it, that that manual effort is genuinely reduced. You know, it wouldn't be an effective solution <laughs> if people had to rework everything that we've done to check it was there. Um, so the question of how do you get to that point is a really important one and um, quite, quite a difficult one to address, I would say. Um, a lot of it does come down to the quality of data that's underpinning what you're doing. Sure. Um, that's probably the most central and most important thing. We've talked about kind of how we get to that point a little bit already, but making sure that you have really high quality data that meets the really specific jurisdictional needs, the risk appetites um, and the customer profiles of, of the, um, the institutions that we're working with is a really core part of that. Um, and then beyond that, really rigorous testing and benchmarking to understand if what you're doing is effective and if you are genuinely surfacing risk. Um, people talk a lot about noise and false positives in the adverse media world. Far more serious would be a false negative. So it's really right. about making sure we have the breadth and depth of coverage to make sure that there is no chance of a false negative and then really tuning it back in from there and taking it to the point where you have a manageable workload. So reverse engineering that exercise is also, I think, a really important way to approach that to make sure you have sufficient coverage to, to meet that risk appetite, to, to make sure that you're, you're covering all your bases, really. Um, and then being able to carefully refine and tune that so the workload is manageable enough that it can also be handled in a way that's efficient, effective, and meaningful. And, and Adrian, in terms of the regulators, one of the things Arachnus uh, touts is their ability to have full audit control. So I assume that being able to audit the information that you're basing your decision on becomes pretty important if the regulators are, my words, second guessing your decisioning, right? Definitely. Um, it's a, that's a great point. I think you see, I think over the years I've seen, you know, very, very manual reviews that are conducted and, and screening that occurs by hand. And it's kind of like you're looking at everything. I think that there is an approach where you're, you're looking. And so there, there wasn't that question, I think, from regulators necessarily. Like, are you looking at the right stuff? It's like, okay, they're looking at everything. And I think that it becomes like 
with the, as you implement more and more technology, it becomes an exercise in tuning thresholds and parameters and things like that. And so there's more of the, how did you come to that? How did you set that threshold? What were the, what are these parameters and testing around that? And it's really a, a technical understanding um, that I, I think regulators are trying to um, get a little bit more insight into to ensure that you're doing the right thing from like an adverse media screening review perspective. So I think it's a, it's a great point that Eve brought up and it becomes more an exercise in like testing those thresholds, tuning parameters and making sure you have everything set right for the risk tolerance of your institution to make sure that you are not missing things that you should be missing. Um, we always wanna meet out, we always wanna weed out the noise. We definitely wanna want that, that gone, but you don't wanna miss the big fish at the end of the day. You wanna make sure you're looking at the things you're supposed to be looking at. So Eve, it must be a constant um, challenge to update your sources, right? Just given mm -hmm. how fast information is growing. I want to ask you in a, in a couple minutes about sort of fake news issues, but just in general, uh, if you can, as we like to say, ballpark it, um, how often do you have to add a, a whole new source line? So, so an example would be, you know, you know, obviously making this up, but an agency gets created in the United States that didn't exist before, like another law enforcement agency. So, so back 20 years ago, they created Department of Homeland Security, right? It didn't exist before. There was various other agencies. And then they had a website and there were sources. So that becomes, you know, the, the issues that they put enforcement actions and, and guidance and all that kind of stuff becomes something that AML people look at. Uh, just in general, what's the challenge of updating the sources that Arachnus needs to go to to make sure it has context, and trust of its clients and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a really rigorous process that you have to go through to make sure that you're capturing everything, again, capture everything that should be there and um, don't kind of get drawn in by things that shouldn't. I think a really great example of um, recently emerging information, particularly um, across Europe, um, we recently had a directive that meant all countries in the EU had to publish UBO registers um, for, for their companies. Right. So we're now seeing various EU states begin to publish this data and make it publicly available, which previously it, it was very 50-50. <laughs> It's down to each jurisdiction whether they were doing that or not. Um, so we're beginning to see those lists and registers come through in more and more locations now, which is great because that UBO information is so key to what, what we need to do in this industry. Um, and keeping on top of when those registers are emerging, how they're being published, there, there are lots of technical questions to consider when you're kind of ingesting information and then kind of repurposing it for um, others to use. Um, so there are kind of various legal parameters that you would you need to understand is this publicly available can i access it is this in a format that allows us to consume it in the way that our technology <laughs> consumes it um, and also is it is it complete data is it good data will it get us to where we need to be um, how far away is it and what's the gap if it's not there yet and how can we make sure that our customers are aware of that um, and what can we be doing to plug that gap um, and how do we rank and rate the, the reliability of those sources so we have policies in place to kind of designate things that are kind of government official sources versus things that are kind of third party produced aggregators etc yeah. um, and we have whole teams of people dedicated <laughs> to, to reviewing it and understanding what's coming next and what we need to be aware of but it's a constant and ongoing effort and I think that's the only thing that we could say is it, it has to continue because that data will continue to emerge and you know just as important as identifying new data is reassessing what we already have and deciding if it's no longer worthwhile or valuable to include it um things can kind of 
drop off as well. So pruning that and making sure that we keep the tightest and most refined data set that we can is really central to, to being successful, I think, in, in the sector at all. So, so you, you alluded to this before, and that's, um, you know, some jurisdictions sort of state-sponsored news, which you have to, at a minimum, have a jaundice eye toward the, uh, the value proposition. In, in other places, we have, um, you know, the, the increase in social media posts, and obviously even some of these, quote, news, unquote, outlets that I personally would argue are not news outlets, they're advocacy groups, that sort of thing. So you got to factor, got to look at all of that, and, um, and just to how politicized the world has become, sadly, so uh, you, you've already alluded to it, Eve, that you ha obviously uh, have internal experts and I'm sure external that you rely on to sort of make decisions. Hey, this particular piece of information, can we validate it somewhere else? Obviously, I'm making it very simple, but you, uh, because you can't base it just on that. Uh, let me start first, Adrian, and just say that's, uh, th you know, I, I see that in the recent increase in domestic terrorism, right? Um, in the past couple of years in the United States and, and, and abroad to some degree. You know, uh, I've talked to a lot of your peers in other institutions that have said, you know, they're trying to figure out in terms of information if something is considered domestic terrorism related, you know, do we file in, in the United States a SAR, internationally an STR, whatever. And there's kind of back and forth. Yeah, it's not well accepted at every, even at every institution, which is kind of crazy. Um, so your thoughts on not domestic terrorism per se, but uh, the value proposition of having somebody like Arachnus do a first cut with the source information to say, hey, we found these things, but our confidence level isn't super high, but we wanted to get that in front of you uh, and we can't validate it. And so you still got to make a decision. So how do, how do you manage all that from a KYC onboarding perspective? Right. I mean, I guess I'll start to start by saying super valuable to have some sort of technology that is enabling you or some sort of mechanism that's enabling you to pinpoint certain news. Because like you said, there's a lot of fake news. There's a lot of skewed news. Um, there's a lot of opinionated um, um, blogs and forums out there that provide good insight and good context at times, right. but you have to understand how to, to um, kind of hone in on what's going to be useful to make the decision that you need to make um, from a case review perspective or from a due diligence perspective. Um, so I think it's a huge value add to be able to look at, I would call that looking at higher um, or, or I guess higher valued um, adverse media sources. So, and I, and I think with kind of bringing it to the, you know, domestic terrorists and things like that, you see a lot of conversation on forums and things like that. So I think you also have to consider there are forums that you would traditionally discount um, where it might be telling because you're leveraging that to inform decisions around filing a SAR, whether or not something is, is fake news. It's a lot to, it's a lot to manage and there's, of obviously going to be an automated technology driven approach. There's also going to be a very manual deep dive approach to how you handle the news and how you consider it um, in terms of uh, reviews from a SAR perspective, from a KYC perspective. Yeah, and we, we all saw the, the um, example in the States where a number of institutions started looking at customer activity uh, 
potentially credit card activity in uh, after January 6th in, in uh, Washington, D.C., that they were coming back January 20th for the inauguration. And that information, which I would argue is valuable, you know, provided to law enforcement as not that crime has been committed, but this is suspicious. That's what you have to do in the States. And that's what STRs are internationally. And that information got leaked to uh, a news source, um, quotes, I would say, but a news source that called out that institution. So it's become even more challenging and so, Eve, you guys aren't neutral, obviously. You're counted on to go through and cut through the, the, the wheat and the chaff, if you will. To, to Adrian's point, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? Because it's not just happening in the United States. It's happening in, it's happening in Brazil. It's happening in other countries as well. Uh, but because there's, it's so politicized, I guess it's, it's, a, it's risk ranking, right? I mean, or source ranking, however you do it. But if I come to you and say, hey, how can you help me make sure that what I'm basing it on is as accurate as possible? I mean, I know you could talk for a couple hours about how to do that, but just on <laughs> yeah. these kind of examples, what would you say, what would be your elevator conversation and say, well, this is what, this is, this is arachnus policy. This is, this is our best practice. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of really key ways to address that. So there's addressing that on the source level and there's mm -hmm. addressing that on the actual result or article level, both of which I think are equally important to consider. Uh, we talked a lot about the importance of high quality data and reliable sources and really for that there's no kind of replacement for um, massive expertise on a jurisdiction and the sources that exist in it and their biases. Uh, our policy at Arachnus is to populate all of our sources with as much context and information as we can. Right. So we try to expose um, political affiliations. We wouldn't necessarily to advise a, an organization on whether or not they should specifically trust a source but we would provide the kind of information that we feel it's important to know in order to make a, a responsible judgment call then on whether or not you use that information sure. uh, and i've already mentioned it's, it's quite often a partnership between ourselves and our customers to, to find the information that's useful and valuable it can be valuable in itself to to read information from a biased source but understand the bias that exists within it um, and therefore um, take that into account um, so that's kind of our source level approach. For the result level approach, fake news is <laughs> kind of an issue that it's almost overwhelming to begin to tackle, particularly when we're addressing it from the point of view of technology and automation. It's not a human trying to make a judgment call. If we want a machine to do that, it's incredibly hard, which is where something like machine learning becomes incredibly valuable. Um, sure. And I know sure. it's a bit of a buzzword now, but genuinely, if you can if you can train a system to learn from what human analysts are frequently dispositioning as relevant, we can learn the patterns of that article and we can learn the structures of language that constitute what a reliable and good piece of information would look like. And we can then um, basically ad adjust what we'd call a sort of decisioning curve where we can say, this article is highly likely to fall within the pattern that you consider to be accurate, reliable, relevant, true, good, etc. And so once we kind of get, get a feel of what that, or once our machine gets a, a shape, a feel and a shape of what that could look like, they can start to suggest more relevant articles to you. And when we're looking at kind of ranking how likely an article is to be relevant, the more we learn from what human analysts are doing, the more we can suggest um, a better fit for, for what a, a good article is likely to look like. So last question to both of you, um, uh, Adrian, start with you. What's a best practice? What's a great takeaway to our community regarding the use of adverse media? What would you recommend? You know, you're, you're sitting in front of a number of AML officers who were relatively new and they're trying to figure out how to integrate that into their decisioning. 
what's a, what's a best practice? What's a good takeaway? I think a best practice, of course, would be to, to, to leverage adverse media screening um, and to think, I think, broadly about how you leverage that information and how it informs various programs, um, KYC, and then other AML programs that you have as well. Um, I would say to think about the implementation because that's a huge factor. Get all the right stakeholders together to decide, is this the right tool? Is this, or, or tools, uh, are we leveraging the right resources? Um, how do we implement this? How does this work for our institution? It's often where you have to get, you know, your technology teams, your analytics teams, um, your governance team involved and make sure that you're making the right decision, um, not just in terms of what um, resource you're going to leverage, what system you're going to leverage, what tools you're going to leverage, um, but the implementation piece of that um, and how that's going to impact your overall program. Um, my question so a little I bit. Say it's, it's, oh, sorry. Go I ahead. think sometimes we you can make those. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say. Um, so it's it's often a practice of of just getting all the right stakeholders involved, um, essentially, to make sure right. that you are um, implementing whatever what, whatever source you're going to leverage. Oh, that's a great point to have everybody there and understand that. Uh, Eve, a little bit different question for you. Um, what is it that the community may not know about the value of adverse media? Obviously, you want to cut through the noise, become more efficient. Uh, what would be something that they may not be aware of how useful adverse media can be to a solid program? Yeah, a really good question, a really interesting one. I think such a big question because there's so much that's valuable about adverse media. I think um, we're already kind of aware that adverse media can build up a picture around who an entity is and what their experience is. I think something that's that's really interesting is that can evolve. That picture can change and evolve over time. So adverse media is, as a concept is something that I think can be particularly um, particularly meaningful in tracking the evolving picture of that customer throughout your life cycle with them. And we've already talked about the importance of corroborating that with your internal context as well. Um, but I think it's vitally important not just to, to understand kind of the static point in time, but actually to understand the context of the evolving picture of adverse media, which is something that you can do if you approach it from a more proactive point of view. So I think a fairly um, common approach um, currently um, that I think people's attitudes are already shifting and changing from is, is to have your kind of review at a point, point of onboarding and a regular refresh approach. And I think what, what's really interesting that we're starting to see a bit more of a shift towards is a desire to be more proactive and to actually understand um, new adverse media and the implication of it as soon as it emerges rather than waiting three months down the line when that data is already stale. So being able to, to kind of shift our way of thinking about it, thinking about not um, has it changed since the last time I did it, but you know, has it changed today? What's new? <laughs> and, and what does that mean for the picture that we have? And, and how can we keep a really nuanced and dynamic uh, profile on all of our customers uh, and on that whole um, entity network basically simultaneously and I think that's where we're, what we're moving towards in the industry and I, I'm for one I'm really excited to see <laughs> how that helps us kind of detect risk more proactively more quickly um, and the impacts that that can have on, on how quickly we're able to then address it and prevent it. Adrian and Eve thanks so much for sharing your insight today um, as you've just said Eve it's it's almost a daily challenge right to to figure out how to use data um and it's so it's so important as adrian mentioned have all the proper stakeholders engaged and i think those are two great 
pieces of information besides everything else that you shared. So thanks so much for talking with me today. Really appreciate it.